0: Hey, welcome into the Coach Bono's podcast in the studio Soapbox Network. I'm Coach Bo, Ryan O'Connor. We're recorded live at the O'Connor Advisor Group Studios. Check out all things O'Connor Advisor Group at OAGKS.com. You can interact with the show on Twitter and Instagram at Coach Bono's Show, is our handle. Check out the Facebook page to search for Coach Bono's Show. And you can email us at CoachBono's Show at gmail.com. This is episode 40. Yeah, we're 40 shows into this now, 40 weeks into this. And uh, I'm here on Monday. We're doing this uh, Monday morning for a Monday evening release. Hopefully we'll get this out today. Uh, I want to say thank you for your patience here on Memorial Day. I wanted to get a couple of, just talk a couple quick little points on some stuff from sports this weekend. And then I'm going to do a full review of AEW's uh, pay-per-view, the uh, Double or Nothing. So I don't know if anybody was watching that or not. We'll talk a little bit about that. Um... We'll do that at the end. That's the last part of the show. So if those people who aren't interested in wrestling can eject at a certain point and let them know that. But those who are into wrestling, you're going to get my take from what I thought was, well, interesting, let's just call it. <laughs> a couple things I want to jump into real quick. Um, just I'm going to do a couple points and get up out of here on the, uh, the sports side, the sports world today. Um First off, I want to give a quick shout out to some folks who, who have been listening to the podcast, checking in on me. I know the last couple of weeks have gotten a little personal uh, about some of the things I've been going through. And uh, I want to say thank you to those folks who have uh, been, t- been sending texts or emails, and I really do appreciate it. And uh, things are going pretty good. I'm still doing some updates. I'll do another one here on my personal Instagram, which is um, my personal Twitter is at moneycoach99. And then Instagram at the Brian O'Connor Brian's with a Y. O'Connor is i um, I'll have a little video on there here in the next couple of hours as well. So by the time you hear this, it'll already be up. But uh, just kind of letting folks know what's going on, how I'm doing. Things are going okay. So appreciate the thoughts and help with that. Um, Want to jump into sports world. And uh, we had a Game 7 Sunday, the Celtics and the Heat. Uh, Celtics got way out in front. Um... And uh, they ended up being a game late. Uh, this is the two teams I was enjoying this series. And I'll tell you why. I mentioned the last couple of weeks, and really last week I think I mentioned that I, I felt that the Celtics and the Heat were the two teams that coaching meant so much to. They weren't just reliant on the value of the one star player, and that there are more complete teams. And I think the Celtics in particular, uh, shown with winning, with winning the series, I mean, the, the Heat try to jump back and Jimmy Butler kind of take over, and as good as Jimmy Butler is, it just really isn't that kind of guy. I'm a big fan of Jimmy Butler, but I don't think he is a tippy-top tier guy. Uh, he's maybe a second-tier guy, but he's not it, 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 the kind of guy you want to build an entire franchise around, but I think Eric Spoelstra does such a great job of coaching that team that they can build a team around Jimmy Butler in that way. I mean, how they got to the conference finals in a conference that has, you know, Kevin Durant, uh, Kyrie Irving on a team, you've got Embiid and Harden, you've got Giannis, all in the same conference, and none of the three of them are in the conference finals. I think it speaks volumes about you don't have to have that one great player if you're a team. The Celtics and the Heat both prove that. And I know the Heat was frustrated at oh, a BAM tore his jersey office leaving the court last night. They have nothing to be ashamed of. That was a great series, two great teams. And I think it's going to be a fun final. So I think that the Celtics and the Warriors are going to be a great finals. Um, I think the Warriors are going to be hard to beat if they're shooting the ball well. But the Celtics will make you earn every point. So it'll be interesting. I'm not going to make a prediction yet. I'll probably do that on the podcast Friday. Uh, we'll record that on Thursday before the uh, before the game one. So I'm um, probably be leaning toward the Warriors, but the Celtics are going to make them earn it. Uh, game seven. Just to kind of recap that real quick. Um, Celtics get a big lead early. I think it was twenty to eight at one point in the first in the first quarter. Heat make a run to get a. a, a after being about 12th down, the comeback get it to about 3. Celtics get it back to a 10-point game, even an 11-point game at one point. The Heat make an 11-0 run to get back in the game with 3 minutes to go and had a chance in the last minute. Uh, Jimmy Butler pulls up down 2 with about 50 seconds to go. He pulls up, shoots a 3 and misses. Uh, Rebounds to the Celtics. They shoot a couple of free throws, end up winning the game by 4. I don't blame Jimmy Butler for pulling up for the three. They were hot. I get it completely, 100% agree with him. You know, they were hot, and they were running, and he was gunning, and I don't disagree with him going for it there. So um, hats off to the Heat. The Celtics were great. Uh, If the Celtics shoot the way they shot on Sunday, they're going to be tough to beat. It'll be two different teams and styles of teams. I wonder how this matchup is going to go. So Celtics and Warriors for a title. I'm rooting for the Celtics. I'm just going to come out and say it. I'm rooting for the Celtics. If you hear me on here, you know I'm not a big fan of how the Warriors play. I like toughness. I I like the Celtics. I'm going to root for the Celtics. If I had to pick it, if I was gambling, I'd probably take the Warriors because I think their shooting gets them out of a lot of jams. But the Celtics will make them earn it. We had one funny thing over the weekend. Um, I don't know if anybody saw this in baseball, but uh, Tommy Pham and Jock Peterson got into a little brouhaha before a game. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with these two gentlemen. Uh, Tommy Pham uh, and, um, <laughs> and Jock Peterson were teammates on the Padres. And pregame uh, this weekend, um, Peterson and fam were talking and fam slapped Jock Peterson. Now fam has been suspended for I think a game, maybe it was two. But he's been suspended and this all goes back to fantasy football because these guys were in a fantasy football league. They're also in a group chat where um, after leaving the Padres uh, last year, uh Jock Peterson sent a put a gif in the group chat, he was with the Giants at the time, uh, talking about the struggles that the Padres were having. Tommy Pham said something to the effect of, "Hey, you don't know me that well enough," and didn't like it and felt that a couple of receipts were due. Uh, I saw an interview this morning, um, actually it was from earlier in the weekend, where Jack Peterson admits he's like, "Hey, I was kind of in the wrong here. I, you know, I did, you know, do this and I did say something I probably shouldn't have said and." And then there was a, a fantasy football league thing. So here's what I'm going to tell you. I've been there too. Not me. I, nobody slapping me. But what I will tell you is fantasy football, if you get too high stakes, or if you can't read the room in a group text, man, the, the technology gets you in trouble. That's where I'm going with this. The technology will get you in trouble. Ask any married man. Tone means a lot. And you cannot tell a tone in a text. I hate texting. I will do it as a necessity. I understand that people do it because it's easy and it's simple. But I have a rule that I only text questions that are easy answers or I will answer a yes-no kind of thing. I do not get complicated in text messages because you cannot tell someone's tone. I also, if you're going to tell a joke, you're going to send a funny meme or a GIF Know your audience, and if you don't know your audience, don't hit send. Um, you know, a lot of young people can figure that shit out. I mean, I'm, granted, I'm in my late 40s, and I've figured it out, but, you know, it's it's a lot easier when you're talking to somebody. When you Think of it this way. Are you able to get away with a little bit of an off-color joke in the text, or are you able to get away with that a little better if you're sitting at the bar with your buddies? You're able to do it better with the bar with your buddies. Why? Because they can tell the tone. They can see your body language. They can see your giggle. They can You can put your arm around somebody, that kind of thing. You can't do that in texts. So don't be like Jock Peterson and get the shit slapped out of you for, for being stupid. If you're going to send a text, think about what you send before you hit send. Not a lot going on in other there's no big sports events this weekend. We had the Indianapolis 500 yesterday. Uh, we have some baseball over the weekend. There was a story about uh, Giants manager Gabe Kapler, who after the shootings in Texas has said he's not going to come out of the dugout on uh, during the national anthem. He did say as of Monday he was considering that Memorial Day he would probably do it, just out of respect for Memorial Day. Um, but then he would go back to that. Tony La Russa, an old school guy, you know, the manager of the White Sox, came out and said he understands what Capler's coming from, doesn't agree with him, but thinks he has the right to do what he wants to do. You know, I think it's a tricky thing, and I I do support Gabe Kapler in if you don't want to come out of the dugout or the, or the clubhouse during the national anthem because you feel that right now you're not happy with the way things are. I certainly could support that. We all have the right to feel how we feel. Um, I want to talk at length on Friday's podcast about this. I'm not going to do a lot of it today. And the reason, I think this is a really good one for Ellen and I. I think Ellen and I will really enjoy chatting about this. And uh, I have some things to say, but I'd rather say it with somebody than just alone here on the pod. So that's a little gimmick and something you can look forward to on Friday's podcast. Real quick, before we get into the next piece, which will be all about AEW and their wrestling show, um, we are going to Memorial. It's Memorial Day as I'm recording this. I'm at my office this morning. I am f- recording the podcast here now. Uh, but what I wanted to do is this is a time where we start thinking about things. Summertime is here, the kids are out of school. Lots of things start happening in life. And what I'm going to tell you now this is a little commercial for what I do. Most folks know that Coach Bo is a financial advisor. And a lot of folks don't know what it is I really do. And what I'm going to tell you right now is one thing I do is I help individuals, couples, families get started with their planning. So if you're someone who's going through the beginning of summertime and they're thinking, man, I I do need to start thinking about this long-term stuff, about things like retirement or maybe a special purchase in the next few years. Reach out to me. I want to be your partner. I want to help you out. I can show you some ways to do some things oagks.com it's oconnoradvisorygroup.com as well. You can click on there. There's a contact us button in the top right-hand corner. That's going to send a message directly to me and I can help you whether it's in investing, whether it's uh retirement planning, you got an old 401k you don't know what the hell you got there, you got some questions. I want to help. If it's insurance questions, hit me up. Got a lot of experience there we can help you. So, again, a lot of the times we do this podcast, we want to make sure people understand who O'Connor Advisory Group is. Check us out, oagks.com scom O'ConnorAdvisoryGroup.com, and you can get some more information. We'll help you. No obligation, of course. All right, we're going to get into it now, folks. So for those of you who aren't wrestling fans, you can go ahead and jump out now. <laughs> if you are a wrestling fan, you're going to want to hear what I have to say, because this is going to be a long one. Um, All Elite Wrestling just had their big pay-per-view. It's called Double or Nothing. This is their version of WrestleMania, for those who don't know. WWE is WrestleMania. Double or Nothing is AEW's big event. Headlined by CM Punk, who I think everybody knows CM Punk, versus the AEW champion, um, the Hangman, Adam Page. I'm going to start at the beginning because there's a lot to talk about, and if you don't know, I'm going to kind of help you through who some people are. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, you know that Tony Khan is the, the owner of All Elite Wrestling, and he is the booker. He's the one who writes, this, writes everything. He's in charge of the whole production. He is the Vince McMahon of that program. Tony Khan's a young guy. He's a lifelong wrestling fan. He's a lot like what I think most of us would be if our father was a billionaire. We were fairly well educated and given the opportunity to start our own wrestling company. So I'm not going to give him too much grief when it comes to being the rich kid and some of those things. What I am going to give him some shit about tonight is he's been doing this shit for almost four years. And there's still some stuff this guy can't get right. This guy could fuck up a cup of coffee when it comes to some of this stuff. So let's start. First thing I wanna complain about with this (laughs) is a lot of folks, myself included, we don't have cable anymore. I haven't had cable for a year, year and a half now. We stream everything. And AEW's partner in streaming is Bleacher Report. Bleacher Report's app is horrible for streaming. We actually ordered the pay-per-view. I was trying up about an hour beforehand. Couldn't get through, the app was having issues. We could not get into the pay-per-view until it was about 40 minutes in. Uh, we did get to see the preview show. It was on YouTube, so I thought we'll cover that. Uh, I did get to miss one and a half matches. But don't worry, there was, I think, 12 matches. plenty long enough. It's a five-hour show. I'm not going to take five hours to review this. But um, here we go. Pre-show, we've got uh, Tony Nese. And smart Mark Sterling, who's the lawyer, they dress up as a as a wrestler, versus Hookhausen. Now this is one of these um, gimmick kind of things. Uh, the Hookhausen is Hook, who, if you don't know, is the old Taz from ECW. It's his son, uh, and Danhausen. Now I am not usually into the goofy gimmicks thing, and I do understand there's a place for it because there's children who watch these shows. Danhausen and Hook are for two completely demographics than me. Dan Housen is for my son's age. My son is 19. He fucking loves Dan Housen. I gotta admit, I'm a fan Housen of Dan Housen. I think this gimmick is fucking funny. I think it's funny. He's a guy who dresses up in, I don't even know how to describe it, sort of a Rocky Horror picture show face with uh, like a Dracula cape. Probably the best way I can put it, and he curses people. He does a little pose, he curses them, stuff happens. Then you got Hook, who is this good-looking kid. This is for the teenage girls. He's a good-looking kid, he's athletic, does a lot of the suplexes like his father used to. He looks nothing like his father. I mean, Taz is a short, squatty guy like me, and yeah, you know, Hook is a taller Taz with who's thin and, and athletic. Um and I think it has a tremendous upside in the future. Um, I think that Hook is who AEW wanted Jungle Boy to be. But uh, Jungle Boy is awful. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. Um, they had a match. It's kind of a, you know, a ha-ha match, really. And it worked where you know, Dan Housen lost a match to Tony Nese in like 10, 15 seconds a couple weeks ago on one of their shows. It's a revenge kind of thing. They get the guy back. Hook does all the work. Danhausen puts the curse on somebody. Hook does a couple of throws. Bam. They tag in Danhausen. He stands on top of Mark Sterling, gives the pin one, two, three. Funny, haha. It is what it is. It's not supposed to be a, you know, Tokyo Dome five star Dave Meltzer kind of match, but it was fun, haha. The perfect kind of get started with the night kind of thing. And that was the, the pregame show, if you will, on YouTube. As they go off of YouTube, they bring in Jim Ross. And Jim Ross, the legendary Jim Ross. I mean, if you know Jim Ross, if you, listen, if you watch wrestling at any point in your life, you know who Jim Ross is. Hell, if you don't watch wrestling, you know who Jim Ross is. My God! You know, famous, I mean, the most famous, probably the greatest wrestling announcer of all time. They bring him in to you know, the entrance music and everything. He's the announcer, of course, for the pay-per-view. And he announces the Wednesday night show. Um, bring him in a lot of pop and circumstance. They play the Oklahoma theme song, you know, the Boomer Sooner stuff. That's how they bring him in, and Jim Ross gets it started. Now, I did not get to see the first match because we were still trying to connect through the app. Didn't get to see it, but I was able to catch it later on. There was a stream I was able to get that had the very first match. And before we get into that match, it was MJF and Wardlow, which is being built up and AEW has done. An incredibly good job building up to this match. If you don't know, Maxwell Jacob Freeman, MJF, to me, is the best bad guy in wrestling. He's an old-school bad guy. Even in interviews, he still plays the character. People don't like him. Um, They like him in his hometown in Long Island. That's the only place he gets cheered, which I get. he, He seemed like a guy from Long Island. Um... Wardlow has been kind of his heavy, the guy that's kept him out of trouble since he's been on his own for the last couple years. And Wardlow has had to do some things. He had to go through a cage match and he had to go through the whipping and this and that to get this match with MJF. If MJF wins, Wardlow cannot be signed by AEW. If Wardlow wins, he's let out of MJF's contract. This ends up being a squash. What that means is Wardlow comes in, he power bombs MJF about 10 times. Match is over. Now, coming into this, there's been a lot of this stuff on the internet, you know, the Twitter stuff and the wrestling website stuff, that MJF is in a contract dispute with AEW. And that he's going to leave AEW trying try to go to the WWE. He still has like a year and a half left on his contract, reportedly. And I guess he's not happy about how he's being paid. He wants more money. Uh, He was someone that was brought in on a lower end end contract in the beginning, has become their biggest star next to CM Punk, and someone that has been very reliable to AEW. I guess he wants more money. Now, my assumption is, I really think this is all work. Meaning, I don't think any of this is real. I think this is simply a situation where AEW is trying to give MJF a much-deserved vacation. The next pay-per-view next month is an AEW versus New Japan Pro Wrestling pay-per-view. I don't see where you fit MJF into that. So I think it's a situation where MJF takes a couple of months off. He gets like goes on vacation. He takes some time for himself. He's away from the paper, away from what you got. Doesn't really fit in the next pay-per-view anyway. And then we'll they'll bring him back two, three, four months from now and have him go straight to the main event against the AEW champion, which we're going to talk about at the end. As you probably have already heard, CM Punk is now the AEW champion. And CM Punk has only lost one match in AEW. That was to MJF. It makes sense to me. I just think that this has all been a big work, and that's where we're at. So um, the match itself, it looks great. Wardlow made it look great. MJF sells it. They do a stretcher job. He's out. He's flipping off the crowd as he leaves. MJF's the classic heel. Reminds me of a young Roddy Piper. And Wardlow gets over. I think Wardlow is a better version of a Goldberg-type wrestler. He's a a safer wrestler, and I think he's much better. But he's that kind of get-over. He's a big, muscular guy. If Wardlow were in the WWE, he'd be in the main event. He'd be going against Roman Reigns. Um, it's he's a fantastic. And this is the thing that really moves him to the top of the card. So great opening match for the actual pay-per-view. Now the next match, and again, I'm going to kind of run through some of these quicker, but uh, the next match was the Young Bucks and the Hardy Boys. So the Hardys, Matt and Jeff Hardy, if you're a longtime wrestling fan, you know who they are. The Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson, I call them the Hardley Boys because they are... Basically, they are, as the joke has been for the last few weeks, they're cosplay hardies. They're guys who went to Japan, they became popular in Japan in Ring of Honor, and they're basically knockoff versions of the Hardys. This match was awful. I mean, it was awful. Um, I know that the internet loves... The the, the the Hardley boys, as I call them, the Jacksons, the Bucks. Um, They get all these, you know, the guys who give the star ratings. They give them all these great star ratings. or They do all these cool moves. This they don't, they don't tell a story in the ring. And this had no story. Jeff Hardy looked, I don't want to say Jeff Hardy was under the influence, but he looked slow. He looked like he had two left feet. He was not good at all. And the match suffered because of it. This was the worst Young Bucks match I've seen. And that's saying a lot to me because I don't like hardly anything they do. And the Matt and Jeff Hardy, uh, it's pretty clear that the WWE was right in letting Jeff Hardy go for nothing because he's long since lost his fastball. I, there's nothing about this match that was anything to me. Uh, The the Hardys win the match with the Swanton Bomb from Jeff Hardy. It looked like shit. The match was shit. We're moving on. Fuck everybody in this match. The next match was the TBS Championship. This is one of the women's championships. This was Jade Cargill versus Anna Jay from The Dark Order. Um, Jade Cargill looks like a million dollars. She's still new to wrestling. She looks amazing. Fantastic! She's got a little bit of she's got a bodybuilder's body. She's good looking. She just can't wrestle yet, and it's going to take time. I see what they're doing by making her the TBS champion and putting her in with with more experienced ladies. This one was oil and vinegar. Anna Jay is not ready to be in this kind of a match, not with someone like Jane Cargill. Uh, uh, Jade wins the match. It wasn't great. It wasn't really that good either. Lots of botches, which has kind of happened throughout the show, actually. Um, And just, I mean, kind of thing, we're just going to pass over it. It's nothing even worth talking about. But I do see a ton of potential in Jade Cargill a year and two years down the road. Just keep Jade Cargill in matches with people like Serena Deeb and, um, and Thunder Rosa and people like that who can guide her. The veterans who can guide Jade Cargill through some great matches and teach her. All right, next match we've got the Death Triangle. This is Pac, uh, Pinto Oscura, and Ray Phoenix, which is the House of Black, Brody King, Buddy Matthews, and Malachi Black. So I'm watching this paper from my son, and P Money was all about this match. He was like, he likes all the guys in this match. And I, they're coming to the ring, and we're watching it, and I go, okay. I like Pac. I like Phoenix. I'm sorry. I like Penta. Phoenix is a botch master. This guy fucks up. This guy can fuck up a cup of coffee. We got the House of Black. Brody King is these three guys. Buddy King, Buddy Matthews, Brody King, Buddy Matthews. Malachi Black. Malachi Black was uh, Aleister Black in the WWE. Um, they have a great look about them. Malachi Black can wrestle. Buddy Matthews is much bigger than I remembered him being in WWE. And Brody King's a fat guy. Uh, Brody King's a tattooed-up fat guy. So he doesn't look as fat as he probably is. Um, I know it takes one to know one, and I am a fat guy as well. So, um, But this was pretty horrible. Um, I think Pac is a really good wrestler, and I think that Penta is a pretty good wrestler. Ray Phoenix tries to put too much into a match. These guys in AEW, this is going to be a theme throughout the show. They try to do all these extra moves and they can't pull it off and it looks shitty. I counted in the 12 matches, I think eight of them had serious botched moves, including the championship match, where CM Punk had those. It's one of those I'd rather you do something that a difficulty of you know five to seven and get it right then try to do something that's the difficulty of a 10 and fuck it up. Uh, in the end this match, um, we have the the young lady, uh, Julia Hart, who was with the Death Triangle, comes out. She ends up joining the House of Black. She spits the mist in the pox face while he's in the top turnbuckle. He falls off. Malachi Brack um, finishes off with a back heel kick, wins the match. Bada bing. Again, nothing to write home about. I will say on the House of Black, they look the part. They can't wrestle the part, though. They just absolutely can't. If you want to watch that, turn on WWE and watch what Edge is doing with his group. Because it's the same kind of gimmick, but they're doing it better over there. So maybe the House of Black guys will find a hotel room tonight and go watch watch Raw and watch what Edge is doing with that group. Because they're better. Then we have the Owen Hart Foundation Tournament. So... The last couple of months, they've had a tournament in the honor of Owen Hart. They had a men's and a women's tournament. We had a really good matchup on the men's side Adam Cole versus Samoa Joe. Now, Samoa Joe is one of my favorites, one of my all time favorites. I love Samoa Joe. I think he's great. Adam Cole, the Wee Willow guy, as I call him, I think was fantastic in NXT. I think he's been a huge disappointment in AEW. I haven't liked hardly anything he's done in AEW. And I just, I think he's been a total waste. But this match, I thought, okay, if we can see Adam Cole, NXT version of Adam Cole, Ring of Honor version of Adam Cole, this could be a good match. And these two guys just could not get on the same page. It wasn't terrible. There were no major botches. This is one of the three matches where we didn't see a huge, huge botch. Um, and they tried to tell the story of Samoa Joe has a issue with one of his shoulders. Uh, what was funny is that at one point Cole attacked the wrong shoulder at one at one strike, um, but ended up coming back and going to the correct shoulder, even though it's wrapped. So, I mean, it tells you where to go. Uh, they do a little bit of a fuck finish. They have Bobby Fish come out at the end. He, distract, he uh, grabs Samoa Joe and does something. Joe ducks it, but then it gets to where Cole uses that to do the super kick. Does the running knee, pin Samoa Joe. So Adam Cole wins the um, Owen Hart tournament. Then they have the women's tournament championship after this. Now we have Dr. Brickmaker versus Ruby Soho. Um This had a chance to be the best match of the night. I like Dr. Britt Baker. I think that she can be phenomenal. She's a gorgeous woman. Very good in the ring. And you got Ruby Soho, who is fantastic in the ring. Has her own gimmick and look that's just her. And I think it fits a really great niche. This was a really good match. Until Ruby Soho tried to put Dr. Britt Baker In the sharpshooter, of course, the sharpshooter, the famous hold of the Hart family, Brett and Owen Hart both did. And Ruby Soho could not pull off a sharpshooter. She kept doing it wrong. She did it twice. She couldn't sit. She sat too low. She didn't get the legs in the right place. A little bit of a botch there. A lot of a botch there. Otherwise, it was a good match. Brett Baker wins the match. Um... And it was it was a good the victory roll, so it was a quick kind of thing. It, Ruby Soho came off good in the end as well. Um, and we had Dr. Brett Baker, the winner of the Owen Hart Women's Tournament. Now, the cool thing I saw, they kind of tipped this off. If you saw Adam Cole, he had kind of the pink outfit on, the pink trunks. His jacket was pink. Dr. Brett Baker did the same kind of thing. If you know, they're in a relationship. They're dating. Um, but also... You know, the Hart family, Brett and Owen, were known for the pink attire, the pink and black. And so it was a, a very much a nod to Owen Hart. And after the women's match, Brett Baker and um, and Adam Cole were together. They bring out, <laughs> they bring out Dr. Martha Hart. And this is Owen Hart's widow. Um and she's going to present Adam Cole, Doctor Britt with their championships and a trophy and the cup, if you will, the cup, a look the Stanley Cup kind of thing. Um, she was speaking, Doctor Hart was, and it was fine. I didn't really know what she was trying to say. She was thanking AEW and a number of the sponsors they got involved with raising money for, you know, the the, the Owen Hart Foundation, which is wonderful. It just seemed it. The part that I struggled with was that Adam Cole's kind of a bad guy, and so it, it, Doctor B- Doctor Bret Baker maybe a little more liked by the crowd, but they looked like they didn't know what they were doing standing there, especially Adam Cole. It was almost as if no one knew what Martha Hart was going to say, and it just it looked uncomfortable, which was fine. It is what it is, but. It, This is where you see Tony Khan's booking and not being thoughtful to some of the details and maybe not having a good game plan for what's going to happen. Tony Khan seems to do a good job at sometimes of what he wants to do with certain things. And if the right wrestler is in that role, they can take care of the details. But this is something that should have been prearranged. You know, those two, Adam Cole, and Dr. Britt Baker should have known, you know, where to stand, how to have their hands, you know, that kind of thing. It, it, it didn't look comfortable. And I really don't know what Mark Hart was trying to say other than thank you, and that's great, and we're going to move on. So the next match was a clusterfuck. This was the, they called the mixed trios match. They used to call these six-man tag team matches, but they're now called trios matches. Uh, this is Frankie Kazarian with Sammy Guevara and his girlfriend, Ty Conti, versus Scorpio Sky, Ethan Page, and Paige Van Zandt, making her debut in, a, in the ring at AEW. And they had their trainer, Dan Lambert. Dan Lambert is the knockoff version of Jim Cornette. Um, this is AEW trying to do all the stuff that Jim Cornette says on his podcast and make him look bad, but Dan Lambert can't deliver. Uh, Frankie Kazarian... I I said this to my son. I don't know how he never got a run in in WWE. He's an older guy now. He's in his 40s. He looks like a million dollars. He knows how to wrestle. He was the best part of this match far and away. Uh, Sammy Guevara, Ty Conti. they're doing this thing where they're in love with each other and they're kissing and making out during the match. It's all a bunch of bullshit. Sammy Guevara is trying to kill himself in the ring with a bunch of extra bullshit. He's that botch master as well. Um, I didn't like this match at all. I do like Frankie Kazarian. He can actually wrestle. This is one of those matches where keep the fucking match in the ring and it will be better. And when they get out of the ring and they do extra shit, it didn't work. Uh, Paige Van Zant was put in there and you get her in there with Ty Conti. Oil and water. Paige Van Zant supposed to look like the heavy, but she doesn't have any experience and she's got someone in... In uh, Ty Conti, she's going to deal with woman-to-woman who can't sell for her. So it didn't look good. Um, A couple of different botches in there. Just terrible. Uh, Scorpio Sky, I like his look. I think he's got something there. Something there. He's the TNT champion. I like what they're doing there. Uh, Ethan Page is the guy that I looked at and I went, hmm. Hadn't seen him before as far as really looking at his work. And I think he's got something as well. Big guy. I don't know about the talking. I'd love to see him as an individual with Lambert cutting promos and letting Lambert not just be cosplay Jim Cornette, try to do something a little more effective. Um, I'd love to see Jim Cornette manage Ethan Page. It'd be great. Um, in the end, uh, the team of Page, Sky, and Van Zant win when Van Zant pins Ty Conte. Really not a whole lot to it. This is just kind of filler and not a great match at all. The next match, this to me, surprisingly, was the best match of the night. Darby Allen and Kyle O'Reilly. Now I did not expect the winner to be who it was. Darby Allen is one of the uh, the four pillars they call them of W of AEW, and. I think he has a tremendous upside. He's managed by Sting. Sting is not there. They had a thing where Sting is broken his arm or some shit. I don't know. He's broken something. He's not there. Um, so Darby Allin is there to defend Sting's honor. Kyle O'Reilly, brand new, brought over from NXT as part of the Undisputed Era uh, with Bobby Fish and, and, um, and uh, Adam Cole. They're a great team, the three of them, and Kyle O'Reilly, I think, is an incredible worker. Um, Was very surprised to see Kyle O'Reilly win the match, and really in a clean way. The only misstep here was Darby did one of those dives out of the ring where he's going to dive into Kyle, and he falls short. I don't know how he didn't break his damn neck, but that's the shit I'm talking about. Stay the fuck in the ring, and you won't have that happen. AEW is trying so hard to get these guys to do these extra things. And I think it's the guys. I don't think it's Tony Khan telling them to do it. I think it's the wrestlers are trying to re-up one another week to week, show to show, year to year. And, And Darby's one of those guys. This was a really good match. Other than the one botched spot, which Darby was able to walk away from, thankfully, um, they had a really, really good match. And I, I thought this was the best match of the night. Loved that uh, Kyle O'Reilly won the match and went over. Uh, this was also the best that Jim Ross was on commentary all night. Jim Ross had one of his worst nights on commentary I've seen uh, ever. This was, but he was into this match. And when he's into the match, it makes the product better. He wasn't into anything until this match. And then it went away very quickly. The next match here, we're we're only halfway. This show ended up being five hours, by the way, five hours. I was exhausted by the end of watching this. Thunder Rosa, the AEW Women's Champion, versus the professional Serena Deeb. This was the second best match of the night, and uh, Thunder Rosa, Serena Deeb, they uh, great wrestling match, great story. You got Thunder Rosa, who is the champion. And, but not really given the respect that Dr. Britt Baker has been given. Serena Deeb has the role of being the professor of wrestling, where she's this great wrestler, but doesn't get the respect she deserves. This was a great match. Thunder Rosa wins, um, and, and I just—it was a great, great match. It's the second best match of the night, and it was the best women's match I've seen in AEW. I just don't think that past the first three or four. AEW women's uh, women's wrestlers, which I think are Thunder Rosa, Serena Deeb, Dr. Brett Baker. Um, I don't think that they have a whole lot. Ruby Soho I would include in that as well. Um, I don't think they have anybody after those four that I think is ready for prime time. So it, it's something where I would keep them on those YouTube, the dark, the elevation shows, and build the other people. Those four I'd have wrestle on that Wednesday night show because that's really good wrestling. All right, the next match. They caught the Anarchy in the Arena match. This is some Chris Jericho, Frogger Knuckle bullshit here. Outlaw Mud Show bullshit, as my man Jim Cornette would say. Um, if you don't know, in these big... AEW's had a couple of big matches. They've done them in the stadiums in Jacksonville. They, their home is in Jacksonville. Uh, the Khan family also owns the Jacksonville Jaguars. So they used that stadium a couple times. And they had a match, I forget what they called it. Um, I believe that we, a few of us have called it football field fuckery, where they basically had a match that was on the football field. Uh, and it went all around the stadium and everything else. And it's just Chris Jericho you know, jerking his dick, thinking about all this funny shit he can do because he can't fucking wrestle anymore. Chris Jericho used to be one of the best wrestlers in the entire world. He was for basically a generation. And his work in AEW has been beyond piss poor to me. He has added nothing to AEW, in my view, other than the few viewers he added in the very, very beginning. His work as the the first champion was awful. His matches, including shit like this, is unwatchable. Everybody in this match is worse off today than they were yesterday. So we're going to go through this. We've got Chris Jericho and his group they call the Jericho Appreciation Society, which is Chris Jericho. Jake Hager, or as I call him, the Vanilla the Vanilla Gorilla. Uh, just, he's just awful. And you know, Jake Hager is the old Jack Swagger from WWE. Uh, Angelo Parker, Matt Menard, and Daniel Garcia. This is Daniel Garcia in the old 2.0. They've all come together. Now They're wearing these white outfits, white pants with um, um, suspenders. They look, like, uh, they look like they were from a clockwork orange. It's clearly Chris Jericho got two stoned one night, watched a clockwork orange and thought, we should wear that to the ring for one of these matches. Now the group they're going against, Brian Danielson, the American Dragon, maybe one of the top five wrestlers in the entire world. John Moxley, the former Dean Ambrose, one of the best wrestlers in the world, who unfortunately has gotten too much into this fucking shit. Ortiz and Santana, the tag team, who I think are just phenomenal as a tag team. And they get dragged in this bullshit. And you got Eddie Kingston. Now I will say, I think Eddie Kingston, next to CM Punk, is the most over guy in the entire organization. He's real. He seems like a guy from Brooklyn. He's what he says is real. You believe who he is. I'm a Eddie Kingston fan. This match was fucking bullshit. Everything about this. So they had the Jericho Appreciation Society come to the ring, and then they play Moxley's music, which is wild thing, and those guys come to the crowd like Moxley does. And, of course, the fight breaks out in the crowd throughout the arena because it's anarchy in the arena. They're going to fight all over the arena. They kept the music playing throughout the match like fucking New Jack in, e, in, e, in ECW. Until one point where Jericho is by a place where he's able to pull the chords and stop the music. Ridiculous. Um, at one point... Everyone's bloody. Everyone's got. I got Moxley thrown through a, a table with barbed wire on it. We got people getting hit with ball bats. Eddie Kingston pulls out a fucking uh, canister of gasoline like he's gonna set Jericho on fire. I wish he had set Jericho on fire. Frankly, I wish he'd have set this whole fucking match on fire because this was dog shit. This is the worst shit I've ever seen in wrestling. Fuck everybody who was in this match. This match was so bad that Danielson and Moxley's manager, who is William Regal, didn't come out. He wasn't even part of the match. And clearly it's because backstage he went, I ain't doing that shit. It was awful. And I don't know how anyone enjoys this shit. It, it's hard to follow. In the end, they did a stupid piece where the, the top ring rope came off. And they had Jericho put the walls of Jericho on Brian Danielson, while Jake Hager has the rope wrapped around his his neck, a la when um, Danielson back in back in WWE was trying to choke out Justin Roberts with a tie. It, it, it's little shit like that. They try to go back and try to pay some homage, I guess, or, or pay some kind of an homage to. You know, something that happened in the past. But this was just outlaw mud show bullshit the entire time. Fuck everybody in this match. Fuck everybody who likes this match. This is what you want to watch. Go watch that Game Changer Wrestling bullshit. Go watch the fucking guy with the pizza cutter and get this the fuck out of here. You can't have this on the same show you got Dan Housen and Hook doing a match for kids. You can't show this to your fucking kid. You can't. You don't want your wife to watch this shit with you. This was bullshit, and everybody in this match was worse off for it. Fuck them. Fuck all of them. So there, I've said my two cents. Well, now they've got the ring. They have to put back together. They got to put a new mat on the ring. Of course, they just take the old mat off because it was. They said gasoline. It's actually water. But I mean, they they need to pull that off. They got to put the ring ropes back up. So of course, they go to a pre-recorded piece with Andrade El and he's in the office with his assistant Jose. He gets his new business partner who is one of the guys from um, um, I think mean, it's CMLL. I didn't know who it was so I just kept it moving. I knew it was a pre-recorded because Andrade got married on Friday to Charlotte Flair so good for him. I'll keep this punk coverage. Good for you my man. Uh, now we come back With the AEW World Tag ah, tag Team Title Match. The champions are Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Now, Jungle Boy, if you don't know, is the son of... um, Oh, shit, what's his name now? Jungle Boy's dad is uh, Luke Perry, the actor who passed away a few years ago. Is Jungle Boy's father. Jungle Boy's a little bitty guy. He's uh, a good-looking guy. He, He looks like... He looks like Tarzan. He looks like a small... He looks like a teenage version of Tarzan. And he's partnered up with this big fucking guy named Luchasaurus. Looks like he's about seven foot tall. He's probably under that. And huge. And this guy can't wrestle. I mean, just plain and simply cannot fucking wrestle. You can watch this match and see why. Uh, they got a manager. Christian Cage is their guy. Christian from the WWE. He kind of is their guy outside the ring. And they're going in a a, uh, three-way here against... Team Taz, which is Powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks. These guys are two future stars. They both look like stars. They both wrestle like stars. They're actual wrestlers. The third team is Keith Lee and Shane Swerve Strickland. Swerve Strickland is hella athletic. He's a bigger dude. He's a tall dude, athletic looking. You got Keith Lee, who is a monster big. I mean, he's the Brock lesnar size guy. It's one of these, which one of these is not like the other? And it was the champions. The fact that Jungle Boy and Luchasaur, this is an act, again, this is an act for kids. Everybody does a little wave when they come out. They got the happy Jungle Boy kind of music. Throughout this match, shit would break down, of course, because you can't have a three-way match without shit going outside the ring, and people got to do a bunch of extra bullshit. But if you'll notice throughout this match, if you go back and watch it, Luchasaurus was not involved in any of the major spots. The reason being, that motherfucker is the king of a botch. That guy can't kick straight, can't throw a punch, and you don't want him to try to catch you or anything else. He was awful. Jungle Boy's awful. This whole act is tired. And somehow, some way, they win this match. This is the perfect time to take the belts off these guys. One thing AEW has done really poorly is they have a number of great tag teams. Now, these other two tag teams, Hobbs and uh, Hobbs and Starks, Lee and Strickland, they're both kind of newer tag teams, and they could both be potentially very good. This is the same organization that has, um, you've got the FTR, who I think is the best tag team in the world. I think Dax Harwood is the best wrestler in the world right now. You've got Ortiz Santana and Ortiz, another great pair. You've got a whole bunch of teams. You You have the Young Bucks, who I'm not a fan of, but are a great tag team for most people. But yet we have the champions are a little boy and his pet monster who can't actually wrestle. This was an opportunity to get their belts off the little boy in the pet monster, give them to somebody who actually looks serious, and to go ahead and get some of these other teams involved in some good tag team matches. And they didn't do it. They chose to continue it this way. And I think that the reason they did that was because they wanted only one major title change. Now, at the end of this match, we we're already four hours into this pay-per-view. And then out comes the main event. The Hangman, Adam Page, and CM Punk. CM Punk is, we know, the best in the world, as he calls himself. And I am a huge CM Punk fan. He's one of my top five wrestlers of all time. This was not his best match. CM Punk wins the match. Um... There was a a few different things that happened here I wouldn't really like. One, of course, they tried to both do each other's finishing move. The Buckshot Lariat, which is a really cool-looking move where you got to jump from the outside in, you do a flip, and you come through a clothesline. Adam Page has it down, and he looks phenomenal when he does it. CM Punk attempted to do the Buckshot Lariat twice and fucked it up both times. Um... Page tried to do the GTS to Punk, and they fucked that up. Uh, it was just um, a whole... It just never felt comfortable, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Not just because I don't think they felt each other out well in the ring. The commentary was awful during this match. Now, I'm going to talk about commentary here at length in a minute, but Jim Ross was absolutely awful. There's a spot at the end, right before the end of the match. Punk is down. Uh, Page is considering picking up the belt and gonna hit Punk with the belt. He picks the the referee's been bumped out of the way. He's got the belt. And he's about to do. It. He's waiting for Punk to get up and get up, and then he he thinks twice. The old Jim Ross would have said don't do it, kid, don't do it, don't he'd have sold it, he'd have sold, don't do it, because then Adam Page chooses to put the belt down and try to do the buckshot lariat instead. Of course, it takes too long as he comes through the buckshot lariat, Punk grabs him, gives him the GTS, wins the match. If you wanted to get Page back over as a good guy by making the right decision, the sportsmanship decision, Jim Ross was the right guy to sell it, and he didn't do it. Now, I think part of that is because it was a five-hour fucking pay-per-view, and he was probably pretty damn tired. But the other piece of it is, I don't think they knew where they were going with this match. The, you could not tell where the te- the, each side was going. Who was the good guy? Who was the bad guy? The crowd in the very beginning was overwhelmingly with CM Punk. Parts of the match, we then hear you know, the crowd chanting the cowboy shit, which, of course, is a Hangman Adam Page's line. It, it seemed forced. It seemed that um, Excalibur's calling the match with, with Ross, and Excalibur has made Jim Ross a worse announcer. Tony Schiavone adds nothing to this. And as great as CM Punk is, this was not his best effort. I think the effort was there, but I don't think this was a good match at all. Um, it was just an average match. In the end, the right guy wins. You only have the one championship change hands in the week or the whole show. That was the one with CM Punk winning. Uh, they go off the air with Punk crying in the ring and happiness. Of course, the cameras go off. The FTR come out, and they're all wearing T-shirts in honor of Bret Hart because the FTR and CM Punk, they're friends and... They're all bright-heart guys. They pick up CM Punk. This has all been over, the, over Twitter and AEW's website now. Uh, there's obviously going to be something there. But it goes back to me on the Tony Khan piece of well, how he books. He tried to shove 12 pounds of sugar into a 10-pound bag. Actually, in this case, 12 pounds of shit into a 10-pound bag. I thought about three of these matches were good. I thought that Samoa Joe and Adam Cole's match was okay. Um, I thought that Serena Deeb, that match was fantastic. Um, Kyle O'Reilly and, um, um, and Darby Allen was think, the best match of the night. And when I did go back and see the MJF-Wardlow match, I thought it was the perfect outcome for how they're wanting to do things to those two guys. There is some really good stuff there. There is. There's some really good stuff. But then you got some shit in here that shouldn't be on television. There's some shit that you just don't want to pay for. And what upsets me about it is that, you know, I have a son who's into this, and I enjoy watching wrestling. I do. I enjoy wrestling. And we're actually going to go to the AEW show next week in Kansas City. We're going to be at Dynamite on the 8th. And a little early birthday present for my kiddo. I'll actually be at the next pay-per-view in June in Chicago. It's why I watched this um, thinking, okay, I'll be setting up some of that stuff so we'll know what's going on. I wanted to have an idea of what was going on before I go to the show. Um, A lot of bad stuff here. What I will say, one thing Tony Tony Khan did that was out of character for him is usually every match has what I call an afterbirth, something that starts a new angle. And they didn't do that throughout this show. They just let it be. They let it end, which AEW needs to do more of not everything has to be a continuing theme. Um, they did it. They did continue the theme with MJF and Wardlow, with MJF getting stretchered out. Uh, a couple of things they did continue, but nothing amazing. There was the, the um, oh, one of the trios matches early, had a bunch of people come in, and just a lot of shit going on. And, and a lot of that you don't really need. But it was overall, uh, I thought there was some good, there was some bad. Uh, in the end, I'll say this. I think that AEW has got to do a better job of timing their pay per views. They've got to just tell some people that they can't be on pay per view yet, they're not ready. You know, just you're not ready for prime time yet, that's fine. You know? At the same time, I think the biggest problem AEW has right now is the announce team. I think mean, this announce team is just god-awful. And that's a shame, because Jim Ross is the absolute GOAT. He's the, he's the greatest of all time when it comes to wrestling and announcing. But he has not been good in AEW at all. He has lo- either, he, either he's lost his fastball, or he does not care. And I, I, it's sad to say that. He could have sold so much. He could sell for these young guys if he really wanted to. If he could have made that punk page match better. Now, I think part of it is the five-hour show. I think part of it also is that he may not have a good idea of what Tony Khan wants done. So I've got some ideas. I said it on Twitter last night. I will say it here on the podcast. Tony Khan, my man, I've offered before. I'm going to offer one last time. You're going to be in Kansas City on the 8th. I'm going to be at your show on the 8th. You reach out to me. And I will come talk to you. First consult is free. And I will tell you what the fuck you're doing wrong. And I'll give you some ideas to make to right this ship. Don't turn AEW into what you and your family have turned the Jacksonville Jaguars into. So the first consult's on me. I promise I'll help me. I'll help me make it better. And I'll tell you the first thing I'm going to tell you to do, though, is to change the announce team. And I have some ideas for you. One, I love Jim Ross. I do. I think he's the best ever. But I don't think Jim Ross should be calling these matches right now. Bring in Jim Ross for the bait for the main event. Bring in Jim Ross for a special match. But don't let Jim Ross call every dynamite. Don't let him call every pay-per-view at the five hour show. Maybe switch it up. Excalibur is awful. He's only excited when he's gonna say the name of a uh, say the same of a name uh, when he says the name of a move, that happens to be a Japanese name. Other than that, he's just monotone and not very good. And Tony Shivani adds nothing to the actual broadcast. Tony Shivani is way overcredited because he was the number one play-by-play guy on Nitro. That was 20-plus years ago. There is a place for Tony Shivani, and what he's been really good at has been those interviews. He did it again at the very beginning of that Martha Hart thing. They have a little thing where he kind of, you can see he has kind of the crush on um, on uh, Dr. Brett Baker. And Adam Cole doesn't like that. And so you see just the eyes. You can see it. And that's good. It's good writing. That's good. That, that, that's It's a good segment for a show. That's no different than when Tony Schiavone was doing stand-ups when in, the, in the NWA in the late 80s. He's very good at that. Use him for that. Don't try to have him do everything. And that's a big problem for AEW. So what I would tell you is, Tony Khan, you now own Ring of Honor. You bought Ring of Honor. You got Ian Riccoboni. He's the, he's the play-by-play guy for Ring of Honor. I think he's the best in the business. Make Ian Riccoboni the new broadcaster, the new lead announcer for AEW. I think that'll bring a better excitement to it. I think that'll bring a better overall storytelling. If you want to bring in Excalibur for trios matches, if you want to bring in Excalibur for certain aspects and certain types of matches, or certain um, uh, whether it's the the lucha or the the Japanese background guys, do it. That makes sense to me. But he doesn't add anything day in, day out on all matches. Make him special as far as the Excalibur thing. If you can't get Ian Riccoboni, Mauro Ranallo is out there. I know right now he's working for Bellator. He's done WWE. He's been everywhere. Um, You want a big fight feel? You want to have your pay-per-views be really good? Put Mauro Ranallo and Jim Ross together for pay-per-views. Maybe bring them out for the for title matches at pay per views. Then you can have a little surf for turf action with your announcers. And if you're going to have a five hour pay per view, no one's tired at the end. Just a couple suggestions. Um, you know, they did bring out Caprice Coleman from Ring of Honor, and uh, he brings a little something to it. I think he's really good. Um, I, I'd even consider Kevin Kelly. I know he's done some stuff with New Japan, you know, back at Ring of Honor as well, and back in the day with WWE. There's other people out there that they can use. And it's the first thing I would change with AEW, is I would change the announce teams. And secondly, I would definitely get a lot of this outside-the-ring action back into the ring. It's not special if you're using weapons every gimmick, every match. I know this is a pay-per-view, a little different than your normal Wednesday night Dynamite show. But we see it every Wednesday as well. It's becoming old. And I think that really started with the whole ECW thing back in the day. And it's just growing on itself now. Tony Khan, don't let AEW become what this GCW, this Game Changer Wrestling bullshit is. You're starting to go that way. Don't let it go that way. And put a fucking muzzle on Chris Jericho. Don't let every idea he has think he make him think it's a good idea. Because frankly, it's not. Chris Jericho hasn't had a good match in two years. And shit like you just had Anarchy in the Arena, Football Field Fuckery a few months ago, they're not worth a shit. And you're going to end up, you're not going to grow your audience with bullshit like this. You've got a core of fans who are going nowhere you've got a little under a million people who are watching your show every Wednesday, and you get a lot of them to buy your pay-per-view every other month. I mean, business-wise, you're doing well. But if you want to grow the product, you want to about you want more seats in the arenas, you want more pay-per-view growth, you want higher ratings, you're going to have to tone back some of the things you're doing and make some decisions there. So... That's what I got for you on AEW. Overall, if I had to rate this one to ten, a four, maybe a five. I, I thought both nights of WrestleMania were each better than this shit. I think there was some good. I think there was some awful. I'll watch Dynamite on Wednesday. I'll be at Dynamite next week. Uh, we'll be Peyton and I will be at the uh, New Japan uh, AEW Forbidden Door. Uh, Pay per view next month. We'll do a full report after that night. That'll be at the end of the month in June. Hopefully, between now and then, we'll see what's going to happen, and hopefully, there'll be some good, some better things happening there. So, uh, thanks for the time today. I appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. Um, I want to thank Tyler Jones, everybody at Studio Soapbox for all you do behind the scenes. Most importantly, thank you to you, the listener. Don't forget to rate us and review us. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Anywhere you get your podcasts, we appreciate every five star review. Uh, we'll have we'll be back on Friday with the Point .5, myself and Ellen uh, next week. Starting on Monday, we will start our interviews for the NIL. We're going to spend most of June talking about the NIL rules and some things going on there in sports. Get away from a little bit of wrestling talk, getting more into the sports talk. Hope you guys enjoyed this little uh, off stuff offshoot today. Until next time, I'm Coach Bo Ryan O'Connor. Have a great week remember your time tokens are not refundable and do yourself a favor to Memorial Day thank a service and uh, have having- a